You're listening to the Vineyard Community Church Podcast with Pastor Rick Francis. For more information, visit vccmountcomfort.org. I was reading, actually I wasn't reading, I saw uh, an excerpt by Andy Stanley on Four New Habits, and uh, I want us to look at those today. We're going to establish a Sunday morning routine. Hmm. A lot of times the coronavirus has thrown everybody out of kilter. Uh, There's some folks that haven't been to church even though the church has been open, they, they haven't been to church because they kind of got out of the routine. And we just want you to be conscious of that. We are kind of creatures of habit, and if you make a routine, follow it. You'll, you'll be able to, if the routine is to get up and, and turn on the live stream, go ahead and do that, enjoy that. Or if you want to view the, uh, the recorded message later in the day, just have a routine and, and try to make your Sunday morning routine consistent. Establish a small group routine. Uh, We have a small group uh, that is a Bible study that Chuck leads here in the sanctuary on Thursdays at 10. And uh, be paying special attention. We'll let let you know further in the week whether that is going to take place this week. But uh, if you aren't a part of a small group, if you're not a part of the Baumgartner Dibdahl home group, uh, this would be a good time to start a home group get some folks together and start uh, assembling and enjoy the fellowship and the ministry one to another. The third thing that uh, Andy says is keep your kids connected. Make sure we don't lose the children throughout the coronavirus. Make sure that they're uh, having times with the Lord, that you are meeting together as a family, uh, that you get them as as, uh, saturated as you can with all things kingdom related. And then finally, he says, pray for your church. Amen? Let's pray for our church. We need wisdom. We need all the, uh, just the blessing and anointing and the favor that we could have from the Lord. So I just want to give you that little exhortation, a little encouragement from Andy Stanley. Now, Anne has a a word from the Lord that she wants to share with us. And uh, I was so pleased when she called and said that she had come across this wonderful thing, and I want to give her an opportunity to share that with you. Well, I've, I've been um, just kind of hearing and stuff I've been reading, um, encouraging to listen for words from God. So I was looking for a journal to, to uh, do that, and I came across one, a word that God gave me five years ago. So I wanted to share it just to encourage all of us that we can hear from God. And, um, you know, maybe it'll be a mix sometimes, but we can check it out with people. And so anyway, so this is what God said five years ago that really impacted me. I love you so much. I am totally, completely committed to you. There is nothing you can do to change my love for you. Nothing you do wrong can take it away and nothing you have to do right to earn it. You belong to me. You are covered by the precious blood of my son. Nothing, nothing can change what his blood has done. I am crazy about you. Everything that you are sorting out, walking through, working on, I am right here with you. I'm not losing sleep over anything that still needs fixing in your life. I know the past, I know the present, I know the future, 
and I am secure. I am not worried about anything in your life. I am right here, and I am at work. I have it covered. It isn't that I don't care about sin or pain or problems. I care deeply. But I am bigger than all those things, and you are under the blood of my son. There is no fear under the blood. Everything is working for good under the blood. I am with you under the blood. You are mine. You belong to me. Nothing, nothing will change that. I am working on your sin. I am working on your parts. It does not scare me. I see the end. I'm with you on the journey, and I see the end. You can relax. Trust me. I'm trusting you. Trust me. Amen. Amen. Thank you, dear. So good. What happens when you come across a five-year-old word from the Lord? and you read it today. I can't hear you at home. Speak louder. It has the same impact, if not even more. Uh, when we receive a word from the Lord, it just hits us so wonderfully. And then when we go back and review it, it's amazing. And especially those times that we go to review it, those aren't uh, just times that we chose. Sometimes those are, those are God moments that he's wanting to remind us of what he's already told us. If you have your Bibles today, we're going to look at John chapter 17. <clears throat> Beginning at verse 1. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this incredible prayer that our Lord and Savior Jesus prayed before he went to the cross. Thank you, Father, that it was recorded and that we have the honor and the privilege of going back and, and reading it over and over and over again. I pray that you would open our hearts to receive your truth, that you would open our mind to gain new understanding, and Father, that you would flow in and through us, giving us ears to hear what the Spirit says to the church. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. In this section that we've been looking at now for several weeks, uh, it really begins in chapter 13 of the Gospel of John. And there John writes, he says, It was just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. So this is the time. This is the time that Jesus is getting ready to depart planet Earth and go and return back to the Father. And it's during this time that he's talking to his disciples. He's preparing them for the, the cruel, brutal way that he would be treated, the crucifixion, the death that he would die, the third day, the resurrection that would come, and, and the 40 days after that, the ascension that he would take back to heaven. And so he, he talked to them through these chapters. 
14, 15, 16. He tells them how they're gonna be treated. They're gonna be treated just the way they treated Jesus. And don't be surprised. And they're gonna treat us the same way that they treat our master, our, our teacher, our rabbi. And so we see that these things are going. And as we looked at last time I preached, that they finally got it. They said, now you're speaking clearly. You're not using parables and figures of speech. You're speaking in a way that we can understand exactly what you're saying. So we get it. You're the son of God. You were sent by the father. You've come to the earth. They think they have it all figured out. And Jesus prays. And in this prayer, he covers several different things. If, if you highlight the word glory or glorify, you'll find that it occurs five times in these five verses. Just amazing. It's uh, all about the continuation of the time has come. It's time for his departure. We find that uh, authority and eternal life is a theme at the beginning of his prayer. And then he comes back to glory. Now I want you to listen to the same passage, this time from the Passion Translation. Surprise, surprise. This is what Jesus prayed as he looked up into heaven. Father, the time has come. Unveil the glorious splendor of your Son so that I will magnify your glory. You have already given me authority over all people so that I may give the gift of eternal life to all those that you have given to me. Eternal life means to know and experience you as the only true God and to know and experience Jesus Christ as the son whom you sent. I have glorified you on the earth by faithfully doing everything you told me to do. So my father, restore me back to the glory that we shared together when we were face to face before the universe was created. The time has come. And the word there is the hour has come. You know, as you read through the gospel, uh, Mary's wanting Jesus to perform a, a miracle at, at the wedding at Cana of Galilee. And he said, it's not my time. My time has not come. And oftentimes when he's confronted, he said, my time hasn't come. That was referring to the time of, of his public ministry. But there's a real sense with God that, that they're always aware of the right time. One of the things about the Lord, he's never late, he's never early, he's always right on time. And now as he's teaching his disciples about what's to come, he says, it's time. This is the time. And so here he teaches. It's the time for the, un, for the unveiling of the glorious splendor of your son. Okay, what's getting ready to happen? Jesus is getting ready to be arrested. He's getting ready to be tried. He's getting ready to be sent to Herod and then back to Pilate. <laughs> and then they're gonna cry out, crucify him. And they're going to scourge him. Uh, they're gonna practically kill him before he even gets to the cross. And then they're gonna crucify him. Hmm, unveil your glory. I've never quite thought of that as being a revelation of the glory of the Lord. But you know, how someone dies is really interesting. You know, sometimes there's, there's just the manner in which a person goes about 
his certainty of death that reveals something of the glory of God. Now you know that glory is one of my favorite words, doxa in the, in the Greek and kabod and shekinah in the Hebrew. And everybody could probably repeat what I've said at least 30 times over 16 years of ministry here. Um, the glory of the Lord is more than just his splendor. It's more than just the radiance of the Lord. It's more than just the residue of his presence, but it is his presence. Presence is always connected to God's glory. And so when he says, unveil your glory, it's the presence of God that's upon the Lord Jesus Christ as he walks every day of his life, even those days that are leading up to his crucifixion. And we find that how he approached the cross, how he went to the grave, how he was three days buried, <laughs> and on the third day he rose, all reflect the same magnificent glory of the Lord. And then the glory of his ascension, magnificent. And so he says, the time has come, unveil the glorious splendor of your son, and here's the reason. I kind of get tickled because a lot of time when, when human beings want glory, it's so that we can bask in our greatness and have everybody look at us and just say, oh, you're so wonderful. You're so magnificent. Oh, I'm so glad I know you. Uh, would you sign? Could I have your autograph? You know, here Jesus, this whole thing, his whole purpose of saying, Father, you know, glorify me so that I can glorify you. The whole purpose by which Jesus is asking for the restoration of the glory is so that he can glorify his Father <laughs> in all that he does. And I think it would take, it would take some special glory to endure the suffering, the passion that he went through. It would take that kind of glory from the Lord so that I can magnify your glory and glorify you. Glorify you, Lord. See, Jesus always taught his disciples, and here in chapter 14, he says, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Thomas is saying, just show us the Father, that'd be good enough. And, and, and Jesus says, Thomas, don't you understand? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And now when the Lord Jesus is asking for glory, it's so that they can see the glory of the Father, because that glory is something that he received from the Father himself something that he has originally existed before creation, it was his, but now he's asking for it. Then Jesus goes on and in the midst of glory conversation, he talks about authority. And he says, uh, the authority that you have given to me over all the people of the earth. Later in Matthew 28, we find that as Jesus has been resurrected and as he's getting ready to ascend, he speaks to his disciples on the mount and he gives them the great commission. And he says, all authority in heaven and on earth is mine. The authority that Jesus is speaking about here is the authority that he had on the earth. After his death and resurrection, he has all authority in heaven and on earth. 
Now he has all authority here on the earth. And he says, you have given this authority to me so that I can give the gift of eternal life to all those you have given to me. He gives eternal life. And then he goes on, what, what is eternal life? To know and experience you as the only true God. See, eternal life is not something that just happens as you pray a prayer of confession and asking for forgiveness. Eternal life is knowing and experiencing God. It's knowing and experiencing the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is eternal life. I, somehow in our, in our church world, we, we've got that somehow we, we get eternal life, we've got our, our ticket into heaven, and now we can go into heaven. I love what Chuck said last week uh, about, you know, this isn't, this isn't uh, you know, Jesus died and rose and, and, and came. Just don't believe that because you wanna get to heaven, but because it's true. It's true, it's the truth. And this is the truth about eternal life. It's not about whether you prayed a sinner's prayer when you were four years old. It was about, it's about your ongoing knowing and experiencing of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. This is one of the things that concerns me that so oftentimes we've, we've in our religious kind of way, we, we kind of develop some kind of program or some kind of understanding that once we get it, we got it, and we can go off and, and just ignore God and just live life any way we want. But eternal life is the God life, it's Zoe. It, it's the life that comes because you are with him and in his presence. And that's different than just because we said the prayer and now we get to go to heaven. No, this is about a continuous fellowship of eternity. And the, and the thing of it is, eternal life is not something that happened when I was five years old. Eternal life is something that happens now, and it happens in the future forever and ever. All those that have gone to heaven before us, experiencing eternal life, are experiencing eternal life because they know Jesus. They know the Father. They know the Holy Spirit. They're experiencing him, and as a result of the experiential knowledge of that fellowship with him, that's what makes life eternal. It's a different kind of life. It's a quality of life that we know when, when we're in his presence. We know that that is life. We are alive. But here, as we're continuing to walk out our journey, we find that we have an adversary who's constantly coming to try to still kill and destroy. But Jesus said, I come that they might have life and have it abundantly. What kind of life? Life in his presence. Life in the knowledge experientially of who he is. But we do have a thief who comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And I'm amazed that uh, with everything that's going with the pandemic and, and all that is is coming at us in so many different ways, how easy it is to get off center and forget the reality that my Zoe life, my life in Christ, is a result not of a historical prayer, but it's of a continual communion and a daily walk. 
Now, thank God for those of us that have dated and stamped the moment that we invited Jesus into our life, but let's realize that that's not just a historical tense, that is a continuous tense, that we continue to invite him into our life. You say, Pastor, what happens when, you know, I invited Jesus in my life as a child and then I went off and I, and I walked on the wild side and I did everything that the evil one wanted me to do and I, I got so dull that I wasn't even really aware of the presence of the Lord. Well, you don't ask that question if you're not being convicted and realizing that his presence is drawing you back to him. And as his presence draws you back to him, you just come back. You just come back. That's what you do. You just come back and you pick up. You pick up the experiential knowing of the Lord and continue to walk with him. To know and to experience you as the only true God, God the Father, to know and experience Jesus Christ as the Son whom you've sent. And we've looked at that last time I preached it, about how important it is for us to understand that knowing that Jesus has been sent by the Father to us really identifies something at the core of our belief in who Jesus is. It's very, very important. He says, I have glorified you on the earth mm. by faithfully doing everything you told me to do. I don't know about you, but I've, I've discovered that when I obey the Lord, there's something of his presence that comes. When, when I do what the Lord says, there's something that just invites a, a, a greater awareness of his manifest presence. Uh, oftentimes I find it in my, in my life when I repent. Because when I repent, that, that shows that I'm hearing the Lord. He's bringing conviction, the Holy Spirit speaking to my heart. And when I come into agreement and I repent, I'm obeying. And out of that obey, obedience comes his presence. And I've seen that over and over and over. And some of the, the most intimate times I've ever had with the Lord has come after a moment of repentance and obedience, doing what he told me to do, regardless of how difficult it was, how embarrassed I was to go through and ask for forgiveness and go to people and, and do the things I need to do. When I've done them, I've had encounters within the next 24 hours with him that is like no other encounters that I've ever had. I wanna to continue to grow and to, to increase in glory. But know that there's something about faithfully doing everything that the Father tells you to do, just as we find our example in Christ. He did everything that his Father told him to do. And now, in light of that, he says, restore me back to the glory that we shared together when we were face to face before the universe was created. Wow. One of the things that many don't understand is Jesus just didn't uh, appear out of Mary's womb. He was the preexistent Christ. He was the preexistent Son of God. He was the second person of the Trinity that face to face lived in, in the glory of the Almighty One. 
in Philippians chapter 2, Paul shares with us the reality of, of what Christ did in, in emptying himself of that glory. He says that our attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. One translation says he emptied himself of all his deity taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to, unto death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Hallelujah. He emptied himself. He walked among us, totally dependent upon the Holy Spirit, just as we are. He came not as just an example for us, but an example of us, that we are creatures that are created in the image of God. And as a result of the fall, we need the ongoing fellowship of the Holy Spirit manifesting the presence of Jesus, all that he said and did. And so here's the cry of Jesus, restore me back to the glory that we had. Hmm. So this morning, the time's come. There's a glory to be un unveiled. It's a glory that Jesus wanted so that he could glorify his father even more. So I want you to be glory hungry today. Glory hungry not for self-acknowledgement, but glory hungry that the Father would be glorified, that the Son would be glorified. Glory hungry so the Holy Spirit would be glorified. Mm -hmm. To realize that there is an authority that has been given to us as sons and daughters of the Most High God that we have Christ in us, the hope of glory. <laughs> and as that eternal life lives within us, we realize that we have the wonderful opportunity of sharing that with others. Jesus never asked for the glory just for himself, but it was so that the Father could be seen and glorified to his disciples and to all the disciples that would follow as a result of their testimony. So to know the Father and to know him forever and ever. For some of us as believers today, I hope this shifts your understanding that you are going on a journey of forever knowing the depths of the living God. It's a relationship. It's a relational knowledge. It's a relational experiential knowledge. And that we find that for us, especially on the planet, Earth, it helps if we do what he says. Obedience is the key to an increasing glory in your life. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to a face-to-face -face glory opportunity. The other night I had a dream, and in my dream I came into the presence of God, and it was so terrifying I couldn't hardly stand it. And 
I chickened out of his presence because it scared me so bad. And when I woke up in my bed, realizing I just chickened myself out of the presence of God and realized it was a dream about the presence of God, I repented and I cried out to the Lord and I said, Lord, I wanna go back. I wanna go back, I don't, I don't wanna miss. And he allowed me to go back in. I've never had a dream that once I chickened out, I got to go back. But this one I did and I went back a second time. And once again, it didn't lighten. His presence was so magnificent and so brilliant. There, there was no way I could use human language to describe the presence that I was in, except for I was terrified. And after a while, I chickened out again and backed out. And I woke up and I thought, oh, Oh Lord, you're so gracious, you're so good, you let me come back, I, I'm so thankful. Can I go back again? And he let me go back a third time. I've never ever had a dream that I was able to in, enter into three times. And it was just as terrifying. His glory is wondrous, it's amazing, but it's absolutely terrifying. The more we obey, the more we listen and, and follow what the Lord tells us to do, the more we'll experience the incredible glory of the Lord. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, it, it, Paul's talking and he, he's talking about when Moses went up and, and, and received the Ten Commandments and the glory that came down and the veil that he had to put over his face because he radiated the reflection of the glory of God. And then he said, for us, we are to go from one degree of glory to another, to another. Now I think one of the key dynamics is not perfection and it's not religious performance, but it's being with him so that we can hear what he's saying. And when we hear what he's saying, because he loves us so deeply, we receive what we need to do what he said to do. And as we do what he said to do, his, his presence comes and rests upon the activity that we've done and it becomes much fruitful and it just continues to increase from glory to glory with an ever-increasing glory. I hope that encourages your heart. I know it speaks to mine. It's a time during this pandemic to increase in the glory, not decrease. Don't put it on autopilot and just fly through this season. But now let's look through this season for even the greater glory that he has for us. For those that are at home, feel free to grab your communion cup. For those here, we do have a, a few here. Uh, communion is on the back tables. And when I, when I think of Jesus' prayer, Father, glorify me, that I may glorify you, realizing that the context of that was the imminent suffering and death that he was about to take. We receive his body. We give thanks for his body. His body that was bruised, his body that was beaten, his body that rose on the third day, 
his body that was seen by over 500. His body given for us. We receive with thanksgiving and we eat in remembrance of you. The author to the book of Hebrews says, the blood of Jesus is the superior, supreme blood of all bloods. I oftentimes just think one drop of Jesus' blood atones for all my sin. Mm. The life is in his blood. It was shed for us. Let's take and receive it and drink in remembrance of him. We thank you, Father, for loving us so much that you sent your Son. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for loving the Father so much and loving us so much that you came, that you obeyed, that you lived, you showed us what the Father's like, you destroyed the works of the evil one, you conquered sin, sickness, and the grave, you rose you ascended to the Father's right hand and you released the Holy Spirit to us. And we acknowledge and honor you, Holy Spirit, and we receive you. We say, activate the full body and blood of Jesus Christ inside our individual lives, inside the life of our families, inside the life of our fellowship as a local church, and inside the life of the body of Christ universal. And for this, we'll give you praise and glory. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. To receive more audio content from The Vineyard, click the subscribe button in iTunes.